Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode, I give my thoughts on one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And today, I'm going to be beginning a four-part series on Dick's 1957 novel, The Cosmic Puppets. The Cosmic Puppets was the fourth novel Dick published. It is a fantasy novel with very few science fiction elements at all. There is a important technology, but how, it, how its use is implemented is purely in the realm of fantasy. Its plot surrounds a man coming back to his hometown after living in the big city for most of his life. He comes to find the town changed and eventually becomes obsessed with these changes and starts to investigate it. He learns over time that cosmic forces are doing battle in his hometown and using his hometown as the site of their struggles. In fact, it's none other than the Zoroastrian deities doing this battle. If Dick's first three published novels played with different ideas of political systems and how authoritarian politics could work with the backdrop of themes of, of the frontier, The Cosmic Puppet seems to begin a four-novel series looking at shifting realities. So after The Cosmic Puppets, Dick would publish Eye in the Sky, Time Out of Joint, and The Man in the High Castle, all of which have to do with false fronts, false realities, and manufactured truths. While not always taken seriously by scholars, The Cosmic Puppets has many interesting things to say, especially when placed alongside these other works. So with that, let us just jump right into The Cosmic Puppets. So as the novel begins, we're introduced to two young people, two children. I don't think we get their exact ages. I think they're around... 12 or 13 or so. One is named Peter Trillian, the other's name is Mary. And they're playing on a porch of a boarding house with some of their children. And they're making clay into various shapes, including animals and various machines. Now, this playing, quote unquote, playing that they're doing is going to be important throughout much of the novel. Dr. Mead arrives to pick up Mary, his daughter. Mrs. Trillian discusses her allergies with the doctor. So there is some, it's, we get the image that this is a close-knit town, that people know each other, that they're fairly friendly. And as Mary leaves, Peter ominously takes up the clay and begins reshaping it. So that serves as a brief prologue to the novel. Then we jump to Peggy Barton and Ted Barton. And Ted Barton's our main character in the novel, the center of the plot and the, the protagonist. And they're traveling in their car through the Virginia backcountry. Now, Barton is insisting on visiting his hometown of Millgate during their vacation from New York City. Peggy, however, is very disinterested. She's skeptical that a side trip to Millgate would be worth their time. She's very much an urban woman. She doesn't find much of charming about these small towns. Eventually, they find the right road. And Barton begins boring Peggy with stories about his childhood in Millgate. 
he even shows her like her, his childhood compass that he had that he had from this time when he was in Millgate. And then he arrives at the town. They arrive at the town. He gets out of the car and he finds that the entire town has changed beyond recognition. This discovery is a major blow to him because he prided himself on remembering exactly where everything is in this town. Now, he doesn't just say that the town is different. We've all experienced this. We've all experienced, uh, you know, we come back to a place we haven't been in a number of years and the storefronts change, the buildings maybe change a little bit, a park is torn down or a park is built or a neighborhood is revitalized, whatever. We've seen that before. But this is much more a total change. He doesn't remember anything about this town. It's entirely different. He says, quote, I've never seen this town before. It's almost completely different. This isn't the Millgate I remember. This isn't the town I grew up in, end quote. Now, it's, it's fundamentally different. However, I think we right away are told what ma the major theme of this novel is, and that is this is in many ways a novel about urban planning. I, I put this novel next to stories like The Commuter and especially Small Town, which to play with this idea of the power of the urban planner, and yeah, none of us experience it quite as dramatically as Ted Barton does. We're, they don't, we don't recognize anything of the hometowns we come to visit. But we often do have this experience where we feel that things are changed enough that something has been lost and something you know, is gone. And in, when the small things change, enough small things change, the entire nature of a community can change. And this really is the dramatic power of the, the urban planner. And notice with me that Dick focuses mostly on buildings when talking about the town, the roads, the traffic lights, the schools. So, quote, Barton slowed down at a traffic light. He turned into a side street and passed a small grammar school. A few kids were playing basketball in a dusty field. More houses, larger and well-built. A fat middle-aged woman in a shapeless dress watering her garden. A team of horses. And then later on, at the next cutoff, he turned the car to the right and came out again in the highway. A moment later, the packer was moving slowly back among the drugstores, bars, cafes, and Philly stations. And still, Barton hasn't answered. End quote. So it's, it's about the physical construction of the town. That's what makes it different. Now, the, the people are going to be different too, but that's something he's going to realize later on. His first impression is, this is not the town I grew up with because the buildings are different and the roads are different. So... The other thing to say about this early chapter, this first chapter of the novel, is that this marriage is doomed from the beginning. These two people don't really communicate very well. They have very little, apparently, in common. They disagree even on a small side strip to his hometown. They are bickering constantly. And she's going to be, Peggy Barton's going to be a character in the novel, but Dick gets rid of her as soon as he can and then has her only exist via the phone. And she apparently spends much of the novel on her phone with her divorce attorney trying to divorce him because he demands he wants to stay to investigate this, this problem. So Dick is famous for these problematic marriages and the, the, the fractured couple and, and poor marriages and adultery and these themes. And we've talked about them in this podcast before. But here... We get a marriage that only exists only to be broken. And, you know, Dick doesn't need Peg Barton in this story at all. He adds her, why? I, I'm not sure. She, she certainly doesn't have to be there. But she's there just to maybe make a stab at, at the institution of marriage. 
Then we get to chapter two. So Ted Barton begins his survey of how the town changed, how the town has changed. Even the clearly old buildings were changed, right? So those old buildings were torn down. Now that's probably the least surprising change in a way, um, but you know, because towns tend to do that, they tear down the old buildings and build new ones. In Taipei, where I live, it's actually the government policy to tear down the old apartment buildings and replace them with ten-story or twenty-story apartment complexes. Barton enters a hardware store that looks older than himself. Now, here's where it gets even weirder, though, because you don't rebuild old buildings, right? You tear down old buildings and build new ones. But here, an old building was torn down and replaced with another old building that's even older, apparently, than Barton. And that suggests the, the changes at a deeper level than he realizes. It's not just the working of an urban planner or some village hall or town hall. The owner explains that this time this shop has been there for 40 years. Barton asks the owner if he remembers him or an old park with a Civil War cannon on Pine Street. And the hardware owner insists that he has, there's never been a street called Pine in Millgate at all. Instead of a leather goods store that he knew well, he finds a grocery store. And the owner insists that that store has been there since the 19th century. After exploring more of the changed town, Barton enters the building of the Millgate Times. Although he remembers the newspaper as the Millgate Weekly, it now exists as the Millgate Times. But he is able to go through the town records. And he looks up various records, but he, he goes to his birth date and his birth announcement. And he finds, yes, he was in fact born on his birthday. So that happened in this alternate timeline that we're on. But then he goes to examine the newspaper for a day his family moved out of the town. So on the day that he moved out of the town, he wanted to see what the newspaper said. And what he finds instead is a reportage on a scarlet fever, fever epidemic that killed a boy named Ted Barton. So instead of leaving town in this timeline, he stayed and died of scarlet fever. After leaving the newspaper office, he realizes that even his lucky compass has changed into a piece of old bread. So as he entered the town, the things he brought with him that originated in Millgate has changed. So that's, that's essentially chapter two. I do want to say a little bit more about the false old um, because we, we are capable of doing this and it's something we do see from time to time. I, in, in the town I, I live in, Shenken, it's, it's a kind of a medium-sized town. By American standards, it would be a medium-sized town, but it's in the kind of the scene as in the countryside um, by Taipei standards. But here there's a place called the Old Street. It's, it's a tourist attraction, right? And it's basically got some old style buildings and then food and little shops and people go and walk the street and eat. And there's this town is specialized in, in a special kind of tofu. Well, I don't know, a few years ago, it must have been seven years ago or so, they basically remodeled that whole place and they, they tore down a lot of the old buildings and built up new ones. But there were new old buildings, right? They were in the old style and they, they were made to look old and the streets was made to look old, but in fact, it was all new, right? And, you know, this is something that can be done. So it is possible to have false old buildings in the normal urban planning that we're used to. Nevertheless, Dick's intention here does seem to be to, to suggest that this town has been fully replaced and transformed at like at the molecular level. There isn't, 
it's not just a few tweaks here and there. It's an entirely different town. And this, this gives Barton this mystery he needs to explore, especially when he, it connects to him personally. And he realizes that his own life in this universe is different. He doesn't even exist in this world and shouldn't even be here. So who has changed? Has the town changed or has he changed? Or has something strange happened to him? And that's, that's the, the question we have at this point in the story. Then we come to chapter three. So we, we're back to the children and we, we meet again Peter Trilling and he's playing in his yard and he's kind of bickering with other children and he reshapes balls of clay into various forms, including humans. And one of the clay figures begins moving and he runs towards Dr. Mead's station wagon and Peter though stomps on it before it can get away. Now these little things that he can make are essentially golems clay golems that he's able to construct to control. And so Peter and Mary, it turns out, are capable of manipulating animals. Like Peter can control snakes and spiders and things like that, maybe rats. Mary can control like bees. And Peter has this ability to manufacture golems and get them to move around. And it's all rather bizarre how these kids can do it and why they're doing it. And these, these are questions that will be somewhat answered uh, later on. But, you know, it, it really adds a dimension of weirdness to it. And anyway, so Peter stops this golem from getting away. And he runs into a stranger. Now, this stranger turns out to be Ted Barton. But we're getting this all from Peter's Trillian's point of view. So he doesn't recognize him. He sees So he sees Ted Barton and... He asks the boy for directions for the boarding house. And Peter goes to fetch his mother, who runs the boarding house. And she's very excited at the prospect of a stranger patronizing the boarding houses. So in this kind of small town, they don't really have hotels in these days. I'm pretty sure all these towns now have Motel 6s or something you know, off the side of the highway. But back in the 50s, I think these boarding houses were more common in these smaller towns that didn't have a full-blown hotel and if people visited they'd have to go to the boarding house to to stay for extended periods of time so he goes and he runs a room uh, with the mrs trilling and he basically rents it for an indefinite period of time he puts down a deposit and says i don't know how long i'm going to be here and he commits here to investigating what's going on in this town and what happened in his own personal life and basically to try to solve this he's still in the realm of rationality here Okay, so then Barton casually chats with Pete, and Pete, Peter reveals that he can stop time and that he has the power over, quote-unquote, its creatures, and he just uses this pronoun, its. Peter also gives a bit more exposition here where he talks about how he's able to build golems, and he wonders, quite honestly, if Barton has the same ability because he, he notices something strange about Barton or he seems to know something about Barton so he thinks maybe he has also has this ability not everyone in the town apparently has this ability he explains that he's trying to track the wanderers and later Peter is upset to discover that Barton has been leading him on for information not having any knowledge of these special talents so Peter feels very betrayed that Barton has been sort of picking his brain for information uh, but nevertheless, Peter does tell Barton at the end that he knows who he is. He knows who Barton is. And that's how chapter three ends. Now, believe it or not, we're already about a quarter of a way through this incredibly short novel. Um, it's 
I, I have the Mariner edition. Um, and, you know, so when I first started reading Philip Dick, they were all published by Vintage and the covers were kind of ugly and I didn't really care for the way the books were put together. Um, and more recently, they've been put out by Mariner, an imprint called Mariner. And the books are more well-made. Every, everything's more consistent. The covers are a little more appealing to look at. And I got some of the books under the Mariner imprint, the ones I didn't already have. And it's only a little over 100 pages. And th this is really kind of the novel you can read in one or two sittings, you know, probably, depending on how long you can sit and read in one place, but at one time. But it's it's really, really short. I, it's It might be his shortest novel, in fact. Although he's got an, a couple others that are pretty short. They, they His novels tend to be not much more than two to 300 pages. And a lot of them are actually a little bit less than 200 pages. So it's, he's not known for the big, thick novels, of course. But this one in particular is is a really short and, and quick read. That's why I'm only going to do four parts on this one. But anyways, that, that gets us uh, to the first quarter of the novel or so. Most Mostly all we have here are questions. Why has the town changed? Why does Barton appear to have two lives, one in which, or two timelines, one in which he died and one in which he lived? Why is Peter able to manipulate animals? Why, are, why is Peter able to make these golems? What's up with Mary? What's her special place in the town? Who are the wanderers? That's something that Peter just mentions at the end of chapter three, and we have no idea who what is being talked about? Why is the town changed? All these questions, we're just left with a bunch of questions. So it's, it sets up, it sets us up to have a lot of empathy with, with Barton because first, this is experiences that I think are fairly commonplace. This coming in back to a town we thought we knew and finding it different. Um, a very, very common experience, especially in these days. You know, I'm sure in, maybe in the Middle Ages, you could come back to your hometown and after 20 years and everything is the same, but that's not the world we live in anymore you know things do change subtly and the little changes build up and and things start to feel different and and change um but we're clearly in the realm of fantasy especially with the golems and peter trilling's ability to to do things and we're clearly in an era of dick's career where he's interested in this what is real question and he's going to explore this in various ways over the course of several novels so it's a thing we're going to keep coming back to. Um, but I guess for now, that's all I'm going to say. It's, it's, I guess this is a rather short episode, but it's mostly just setting up this novel. Um, I'll, you know, by, we'll, we'll know much more by the time we get over uh, past the next episode, which will take us to about the halfway point in the book. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any of your own comments about, especially the first part of the Cosmic Puppets, please leave them below. Uh, or leave a review on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with part two of the my review of the Cosmic Puppets. And possess my tired thoughts once more. That living dies, that living dies, that living